We are reading through the Bible in two years. We are half of a quarter of the way done. Now, we're uh, six months in or so, about 30-something percent. And this past week, we got to read Ruth and Mark, and the, the Gospel of Mark. And Ruth really caught my attention, this book, in a way that it never really has before. You can read it very easily in one sitting. In fact, I was thinking maybe we'll just read it together in the church and listen to this amazing story. And I hope that many of you have read it this week. And if you haven't, I'd say pick it up later on and then read it. Uh, but I really felt God uh, directing me this morning uh, towards one of these, one of these um, the Bible Project videos. It's a, it's a clip that talks about Ruth. And then I have some things that God's put on my heart to share with you. And so Haley's going to bring that up for me, and let's watch this. The Book of Ruth. It's a brilliant work of theological art, and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day -day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer. And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. Chapter 1 opens with this line, In the days when the judges ruled. And it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there the father of the family dies, and the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore. And so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard. And so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees. But Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people, and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And she laments her tragic fate. Chapter 2 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food, and it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character, and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions so that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in his field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah to show generosity to the immigrant and the poor. Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi, he prays for her that God will reward her for her boldness. So Ruth comes home that day, and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz, and she is thrilled. She says Boaz is their family redeemer. Now, this family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel, where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land, and protect that family. So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future 
for her family. Chapter 3 begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow, and she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up, and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry her. Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family, and he calls Ruth a woman of noble character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 31. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day, and he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi, and they marvel together at all of these recent events. In chapter 4, it all comes together. It turns out, at the last minute, Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi, and he marries Ruth. And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter 1. So the death of the husband and the sons is reversed as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. And this symmetry between the opening and the closing, it's even more remarkable. So remember, the opening tragedy was followed by a great act of loyalty on the part of Ruth. And that is now matched by Boaz's act of loyalty that leads to the family's final restoration. And this symmetry, it highlights the design of the internal chapters as well. So each of the chapters begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan for their future. And that's followed by a providential meeting between Ruth and Boaz, and each chapter concludes with Naomi and Ruth rejoicing at what's taken place. This story is beautifully designed, and that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story, and that's how little God is mentioned. Right, The characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story, and that's its brilliance. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her. But actually, the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life. But not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer who's full of generosity and loyalty. And so God uses his integrity combined with Ruth's boldness to save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decision and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Oved, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. 
And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about. Can you believe that was seven and a half minutes long? It goes by pretty quick. I know. It's great videos. The thing that so struck me about this book of Ruth is just how similar it is in many ways to our experiences in life. I worry that sometimes we give people an expectation that with everything you do that honors God, that you're going to feel some kind of sense of, well, you know, I really please God with that. Or that every morning when you meet with God to, to, to pray or read your Bible, that you'll just feel his presence, you know, washing over you instantly. But here we have a book, and the big thing that people make, uh, the big deal people make out of this book is that God is silent. The characters talk about God, but God himself doesn't say anything. Yet all of these things are happening in this book. And this morning, I want to talk about faith and about the possibility, actually the fact, that God is present in every believer's life and even surrounding every person that doesn't believe, even when we do not feel him or hear from him for long periods of time. That's the reality of life. We don't always feel him, but he is hard at work around us. This week, I saw after God, uh, and this morning, in his mercy, when I woke up, God, I really sensed God's presence, and that was really awesome, but for a whole, the whole week up until this point, I didn't really have that sense, but I knew that he was there doing something. And in, in Ruth, we see uh, that sometimes God's presence is silent. Sometimes God's presence is not felt, because he's always present. He's always working. In Hebrews 11, uh, the, the author talks about faith and what faith is. And I was drawn back to this passage thinking about this idea of God's silent presence in our lives every day. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Notice there's no hearing or feeling in the sentence. It's confidence about what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this is what pleased God in the ancient people. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he, commended, he was commended as righteous. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by, and by faith Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, and holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking towards a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. 
And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as, as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. Listen to this. They did not receive the things they were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for, for them. And if I could be so bold as to add a couple of post-it notes to the Bible, which I have been uh, so bold to do. By faith, Ruth chose to love and stay with her mother-in-law after her husband and her sister's husband both tragically died, along with Naomi's um, husband, by not deserting her, even though it meant being destitute. That, that's most assuredly what that meant in that culture, in that place. It meant, though she was an attractive young woman, she would be with Naomi taking care of her. She would be working and, uh, and in a place in society, in that, in that culture, that was, her, that was going to be her lot from that time on, onward. So by faith, um, she followed Naomi, much to uh, Naomi's protest at first, to Bethlehem. And by faith, she gleaned in the fields of Boaz, despite the inherent dangers. It was a very, very bold thing to do. By faith, Naomi developed a plan to, to propose to the family's kinsman redeemer, Boaz, when she discovered who he was, even at great risk of shame or worse. And by faith, uh, Ruth went to Boaz, and not knowing the outcome. By faith, Boaz agreed to redeem Ruth and her deceased husband's entire estate, lifting Naomi out of poverty and restoring all that the enemy had taken, all by faith. Every father desires to teach their children, and every mother desires to teach their children to follow them, follow what they've taught them, without being constantly rewarded, without being constantly uh, given a little bit of cheese in the maze. Every father wants their child to believe the best about them, and every mother to believe that he is good and loves them and is working for their good. That's what every father wants and every mother wants. And in the story of Ruth, we see the truth that God is working in very productive ways behind the scenes without saying a thing sometimes to the people who are involved. And the challenge of that story is to be faithful to God, to do all things in love, and that even when we do not feel him and are not rewarded in this moment, uh, to continue to follow him and honor him because he's working sovereignly in the background. And you see from this book, at the very end, that the genealogy that comes from Ruth's family leads to Jesus Christ the Messiah. Uh, Ruth ended up in Bethlehem because she desired to love her mother-in-law well, even though it meant almost certain, certainly being destitute. And through that move, she fulfilled God's desire and prophecy that Jesus would come from Bethlehem. <laughs> it's amazing. By faith. 
Think about how this different this story could have played out if Ruth did not have faith. Her, think about the circumstances of your own life and the, the challenges that faced you in the past and how discouraged you have been. Um, all of the men in this family died. Ruth is given a green light to go and find a new husband somewhere else and leave Naomi. What if she had done that? What if she had said, you know, God has forsaken me. I'm, I need to go and make this happen. I need to go and make this happen. There would never have been a redemption of Naomi and their, their family. There would never have been... Uh, it would have taken a lot of gymnastics to get things to work out according to God's plan. <laughs> but because Ruth and Naomi and Boaz were faithful... God worked out the details that they could not control in the background. I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of details in your life that you cannot control. A lot. Every day, I, I, I realize that uh, anything can happen. And I know many people are paralyzed with the fear about what might happen from day to day. And that's legitimate, because anything can happen. We don't have as much control as we think we do. But God... Uh, is faithful. God is steadfast in his love and his activity in our lives. And when we are faithful to God and honor God with our lives and make decisions to honor God, hard decisions that seemingly do not have a reward at this moment in this life, no bits of cheese at the end of the maze, nothing, but we just choose to do it, over the course of our lifetime, the sovereign God that we follow will bless us, he will move things around, and he will do the thing that only he can do but we must trust in him. And I'm telling you, as much as I love faith to be easy, faith can be very hard. And it becomes more challenging the more we live our lives and see uh, how things play out. The tragedies, the, the things we see on the news and our personal tragedies in our life, the disappointments, the, the, the wounds and the broken relationships, the effects of sin. And many people uh, sign into faith and then when those things happen, they they say, wow, you know, God's not there, and they walk away prematurely. And God is not able to complete this amazing cycle of blessing that he wants to do. But God's presence is with his children always. God's presence is with you right now, and it doesn't matter whether there's height or depth or sin or demons or Satan or the, all the powers of hell and darkness coming at you, they cannot separate you from the love of God that's found in Jesus Christ. It's in the Bible. But you don't necessarily feel all the, good, all the feels, as the kids say, all the time. We come to worship and we faithfully sing and lift our hands and do the things God's calling us to do. We are reaching for God, but we don't always get rewarded in that moment. But it doesn't mean that's not significant. Because God's silent presence and his Father's heart for us that wants to draw us into faith, taking us from the elementary things where he has to hold our hand every time, we, every time we do anything to say, you can trust me, I'm steadfast. Walk. And I, I have to believe that Ruth's boldness, Ruth's uh, amazing leadership, and Naomi, I mean, it's very impressive, and her faith uh, were, were just a result of her trust and the steadfast love of God. The God of her mother-in-law, Naomi. Because Ruth was not even a part of Israel. Um, she, was, she was grafted in, and she took the faith in the God of her, of her mother 
And she said, I'll be bold. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to follow him. And as things unfolded, oh, look at this guy is a relative. He could be our redeemer. Oh, you should, you should, we should go in the field. You can lay there and, and try to get him to, you know, take you as his wife. And he can redeem our whole family. All those steps that came along the way were not things that Ruth manufactured. They just came into her life as she was faithful. It's a really good, it's a really good uh, lesson for us. Because what God is after is each of us having a confidence in what we hope for and an assurance about what we do not see. And all these people, and, I, and you know, these are the things we hate about the Bible, but they're true. These people of great faith, some of them lived, re- received promises in their life that they did not receive while they were alive. But they continued to believe and follow God faithfully. And they get to see how that unfolds in the, uh, in, through the, the window of history, perhaps. But these people were after God. They were after God's very heart and, and, and who he was, and they trusted in his steadfast love to the final moment. I'll never forget... I guess this is hard to share about. And it wasn't in my plan. But um, I'll never forget when I was in college. I was deciding whether or not I should go to seminary to be trained as a pastor. And I was uh, visiting with my, my Aunt Judy, who was, uh, had severe cancer. And she was in the hospital in Albany. And uh, it was 2010 or 11. And, I, and I, I just was talking to her, and she was declining very badly. And uh, I told her about my crazy plan to attend seminary and to commute an hour and a half two different ways every day to go to school. That's crazy, but I did do that. And she said to me, unlike a lot of other people, she said, oh, that sounds like a great plan. That would work perfectly. Yeah, just commute, you know, nine hours of driving a week. That would be fine. You're right. You should leave your family in Saratoga Springs and not uproot them and bring them to a different place just so you can go to school. Oh, God's totally in this. She, had, she was brimming with confidence and faith. And that's how she was. This is how this woman was. So I honor her here today. And that, they gave me a real boost. And I said, yeah, you're right. I can do it. <laughs> Judy uh, believed in the healing power of Jesus Christ for her body. And, uh, and in fact, she had seen God do a number of remarkable miracles in her life and in the life of her husband in their lifetime. And she believed up until the day that she died, that God would heal her. And that was not what happened. You know, my Aunt Judy did die of cancer. But uh, one, of the last, one of the things that she did share with me was, and, and because she was a woman of great faith, this was not like a, a secret backdoor to being disappointed with God. She said, he's either going to heal my body, which I believe he can do if he wanted to, or he's going to heal me by me dying and being with Jesus. And she's like, and I, in either way, it's in his hands. And I'll just never forget uh, going into the uh, funeral home. It was actually in a church. And I got there, and it was eerie because the, I, her, her, one of her final wishes was that I play the song 10,000 Reasons by Matt Redman at her funeral. And the, the church was unlocked and there was nobody there. I don't know what the pastor just like unlocked the door and like left. Lights are on and everything. I wasn't really prepared for it. There was an open casket. Did not know that was going to happen. It was just me with this woman of faith um, who was no longer in the body. And I plugged in my guitar and I sang that song like I've never sang it before. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. Worship his holy name. And on that day when my strength is fading, the end is near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending. 10,000 years and then forevermore. And, uh, you know, it was, it was quite an experience to think about the truth of that song that she wanted played there, all by myself, my Aunt Judy, a faithful woman who trusted God and believed his promises. And she didn't receive in her lifetime that particular promise of healing, but she did receive it after she died. And there's a difference between that being a cop-out and that being a thing of faith. Because God's, God's steadfast love never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. We don't always know what he's doing. And we can't control him. We can't control our lives. But God is working. Through tragedy, through triumph, um, he's working to redeem us. And we need to trust him and have a faith that is a confidence of what he has promised us and a certainty about what we do not see. And that's the kind of faith that can really move a mountain. Because that's a faith that activates God to do what only God can do in your life. Where you stop trying to control everything, let it go, and trust in God and just walk with him. For we are ultimately longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called our God, for he has prepared a city for us. What is your, you know, people are obsessed with God not saying anything in the book of Ruth, but, um, you know, the truth is that sometimes we can go for a long period of time without feeling or hearing from God in our lives. So what does your by faith look like in the midst of God's silent presence with you? You believe that he's there. You believe that he will reward you. By faith, what are you doing without rewards or recognition? By faith. What is your life saying about where you put your trust and who you think is your security and your steadfast one? What does your life say about faith? This morning, as sometimes happens, God gave me a song and I'm going to sing it for you. I have only heard it uh, a little bit. So this is a song that God put on my heart that I think he wants me to share with you. So if you would, just take a moment of silence and meditation as I set up, and then I'm going to play this song over you, and we'll see what God had in mind when he put it on my heart. from your presence Where can I go where you are not I once saw your face in glory That's a feeling I forgot I forgot I forgot
How can I know that you are with me? How can I see what is unseen? I used to feel you were before me. Now you don't feel near to me, near to me. Search my mind, cleanse me from my sin. Give me eyes of faith to follow in the dark. The darkness is as light to you. You carried me the whole way through. You were always there with me, for it was you who created me. You will never leave me be. You will never leave me be. You will never leave me. True faith is to be sure of what's hoped for To have faith is the proof of what's unseen Like a father you are teaching me Never doubt that you're with me 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 Father, we thank you that your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies are new every morning. And today we see an opportunity to embrace even a time of silence. A time where we do not feel the things we would like to feel when life is hard. And we take hold of the truth that your presence is there with us in the dark. And that you are gently leading us like a good father to trust in your steadfast love when things are not clear. To put the things into your hands that we cannot control and to make choices to honor you in the dark knowing that you are faithful and that you will do it. We surrender ourselves to you this morning. My prayer is that you would bless your people with your presence, their felt presence and your voice. But if you do not, may your people hear an invitation to trust in the one who is unseen, to build faith that lives as if that which is hoped for actually is and in so doing to please the father we lift these things up before you in jesus name amen you are dispersed to be the church we can also be happy to pray with you if you'd like to be prayed for